As an agent for Laos, I have witnessed horrors of all kinds. From bloodthirsty creatures to parasitic monsters, this job has taught me much about the supernatural workings of the world and the dark inner workings of human nature. But never in my career have I come across the cold and calculated evil that ravaged the Australian town of Mirage. The being known as Lacrima infected the residents of Mirage via mind control and had them kill each other with painted smiles. And if that wasn't bad enough, after my encounter with her, Lacrima twirled around the town and fed from the hearts of the dead. When she had had her fill, she took the remaining hearts and used her sharp claws as a writing utensil to write the message, My love waits for you, Kai, all over the town's buildings and roads. By the time the Memory Altering Unit, the MAU, arrived the following morning, Lacrima had vanished from sight. Only her bloody message was left behind, along with the many rotting corpses of Mirage. Among them was Kate, Brandon North's girlfriend, who fell victim to Lacrima's infectious influence. Patrice Landless, the director of Laos, deemed it necessary to erase Mirage from the face of the earth. The fear of Lacrima's infectious influence spreading was a risk Landless did not want to take, especially since nothing was known about this being. Therefore, if you tried to visit or find Mirage, you wouldn't find it. If you tried to remember it, you wouldn't recall it even if you'd been there in the past. Due to certain active Lyos techniques used to erase the minds of people, I cannot disclose that information. However, what I will say is that cell phones are more than just a device used to browse the internet and social media. Be weary, dear listener. Your phones control you more than you know. After escaping Mirage, I brought Brandon North back to Alice Springs where he was left in his room in Alice on Todd to sleep off the shock of what he witnessed. Of course, as a mercy, his memory was altered by the MAU. Victoria and I boarded the Gan, a passenger train service that runs from Adelaide to Darwin. It was a few days trip from Alice Springs to Adelaide and Victoria and I decided it would be a good way for us to be with each other, monster-free, before we reached Adelaide and went our separate ways. Victoria would go back to her job at United Airlines, and I would take a flight to Canada to enter the bridge, the portal that, according to Lacrima, was the entrance that led to Montaigne. We had been on the gone for a few days and were due to arrive in Adelaide the next morning. Since it was our last night together, Victoria and I enjoyed ourselves by having a lovely dinner aboard the Gon's Queen Adelaide restaurant. While I was having a wonderful time with Victoria thus far, it was during our dinner that I began to realize something wasn't right with Victoria. It started when we were reminiscing about our time in the Philippines. Victoria was speaking about how she found it disgusting for a parasitic bird to control a woman and turn her into an organ-eating beast. Then, she went on to say that she believed Lacrima may work the same way as the Mononago. If that was the case, how would one be able to defeat such a creature? I told her the chances of defeating a creature that takes possession of your mind and body is difficult. However, it could be done but that would require a person to demonstrate outstanding control over their mind and desires. 
Creatures like the Mononago, or even a being like Osiris, who enjoys controlling the minds of people, I explained, target a person's limbic system and rewires them. How do you mean? Victoria said. If I wanted to control your mind, I said, I would target your limbic system, the part of the brain that controls your desires, and I would rewire you to want to do whatever I want you to do. The average person cannot maintain control over their desires for long. In the end, the majority succumb to their urges. Victoria closed her eyes and breathed heavily for a moment. Is that what Osiris did to you? I nodded. They tried. I wonder if they are here, Victoria said. I saw a person in a trench coat and hood when we boarded the train. I was taken aback. You saw Osiris. Are you sure? I examined Victoria. She was digging her nails into the table. Victoria, what is it that you would like to do right now? I don't want to do it, she said, grinding her teeth. But I can't seem to control this urge. God, it's like I know I shouldn't, but I want to tear your throat and drink your blood. Victoria banged on the table, knocking over our champagne glasses. Kai, I don't want to do this. Uh, just thinking about it, it's all I can think about right now. And it's making me wet. I, I need to relieve myself. I need to rip your throat to feel good. Are you hearing a voice inside your head telling you to do this? Victoria shook her head. It's like a feeling, a desperate urge I can't resist. She placed her hands over her face. I don't know how much longer I can hold on. Within the next few seconds, Victoria began laughing and lunged at me. I moved just out of reach of her attack and injected her with an Apenthe axe. This knocked her out for a few minutes. You see, dear listener, a few hours earlier, Victoria had excused herself to go to the bathroom and she left her phone behind. It wasn't long after she left that her phone started chiming and ringing several times in a row. All the messages were similar in their subject. Where are you? Are you okay? Did your plane make it to Norman Manley? Concerned, I texted Cameron to ask if any planes had vanished around or near Jamaica. His response made my blood run cold. Looks like United Flight 743 went down a few miles north of Jamaica. Plane was torn in half. Among the reported missing, head flight attendant Victoria Lakatos. Except she wasn't missing. She was here with me on the gun. I knew something was going on with Victoria when she appeared out of the blue back in Alice Springs. It was unlike her, but I didn't want to believe it. And now I had to watch as Lacrima controlled the woman I cared about and used her as a weapon against me. A sharp, piercing laugh shattered the silence of the restaurant. Then, all the diners that were present had their throats punctured by razor-sharp nails. Their life energy was then extracted and released into the air. In essence, Lacrima had turned the diners into damned souls floating without cause. The car door opened. Lacrima sauntered inside. A wide smile stretched across her face. You're quick on your toes, she said. I really thought I had you there. You've been controlling Victoria this whole time, I said. How did you get a hold of her? I snatched her out of the sky. <laughs> Lacrima laughed. It wasn't difficult to board her flight and then have my way and fill of blood before grabbing her. But how? 
You would have been 40,000 feet in the air. That is no height for my love's castle, she said. Your love was treated carefully, I assure you. But I don't know if I can make that promise tonight. Leave her out of this, I said. She has nothing to do with any of the business Montaigne and I have together. She wagged a finger with a long nail on it. But she does. You care for her. Lacrima says shade up to me. You do a good amount of helping people, don't you, Kai? But oftentimes, those you try to save end up dying. Is that because you value your own life more than the life of those you try to save? Do you value your life more than Victorious? Death is part of my job. Indeed, it is. Lakrima giggled. <laughs> Tonight, you will have to choose between saving yourself or your lovely Victoria. You have no other choice, I'm afraid. Yes, he does. Standing by the door was Osiris, still wearing that same trench coat and hood. Oh, if it isn't the immortal one, Lakrima smirked. So good of you to join our little party. Kai, grab your girl and get out of here. Osiris said. I will handle Lakuma. I picked up Victoria without hesitation and got out of that restaurant car. As I made my way toward the front end of the train where my cabin was, I could hear the piercing roar of Lakuma reverberating through the train's walls. I could only assume Osiris was doing their best to end Lakuma. Ordinarily, I wouldn't be thrilled at the idea of having Osiris use their killing skills, but seeing as how Lakrima had somehow corrupted Victoria, I didn't care if Osiris ended that beast's life. In fact, I wished Osiris would kill Lakrima. I made it as far as the Outback Explorer Lounge when Victoria regained consciousness. She began squirming around too much, and I had no choice but to place her down. She looked at me. Kai, she said a smile creeping across her face. I must have you now. Victoria's physical features changed. Her blue eyes became a bright amber. Her forehead gained several pulsating veins. Her fingernails grew long and sharp, and muscles that didn't belong to her rippled through her clothes. She attacked me with those razor-sharp claws. I tried injecting her with an Empenthe X again, but this time it had no effect on her. Victoria roared something fierce, causing the panoramic windows around us to vibrate. Victoria, don't let Lakrima control you, I said. Do your best to overcome her influence. Concentrate. Regain control of yourself. Victoria struggled to move toward me. Every time she took a step forward, she would take one backward. Kai, Victoria had her hands on her head. I'm trying to stop her. I watched as she wrestled with Lakrima's influence. At that moment, I couldn't help but wonder how powerful Montaigne's bride was. Physically, she was several cars down battling Osiris. Mentally, she was with Osiris and she was here. This worried me. It told me that Lacrima had a powerful mind, but so did Victoria. The inner struggle seemed to come to an end. Victoria was able to stand still and move her body at will. She glanced at me. Kai, I think she's gone. She smiled. Oh my god. For a moment there, I thought I wasn't going to be able to rid myself of her. Her influence. It was overwhelming. I started walking up to her. Just keep your guard up. It's possible Osiris may have stopped her, but still- Victoria rubbed her neck. 
What the hell's going on? How the hell did I make it to Australia? I'm assuming... Victoria's blue eyes went amber again. Her body stiffened. Then she made a quick turn toward a nearby table and ran her head through it. She stood back up. Blood was running down her forehead and face like a river. With each passing second, Victoria's features faded as Lacrima appeared. Ah, did you miss me, Kai? Lacrima said. Sorry to interrupt your precious moment with your girlfriend. She laughed. <laughs> I'm afraid I must kill you now. Lacrima shot her elongating nails at me, piercing me through my shoulders and pinning me up against the train. I screamed in agony while the woman laughed. Channeling my training, I managed to overcome the pain long enough to allow my mind to work. Taking a deep breath, I pushed myself a couple of feet toward Lakuma, her nails razor-hot pokers searing my flesh. When I was off the wall and standing, I performed a squat thrust which cracked Lakuma's nails in half. Green liquid oozed out of her torn nails. I grabbed the nail fragments that were sticking out of my shoulders and pulled them out. You'll pay for that! Lakuma roared. Lakuma attacked me with all her strength. We danced back and forth, Lakuma scratching me with those shattered nails of hers and my fists landing on her pressure points. Her flesh felt more like rock than skin. Every time I landed a hit, my fists took a beating. I knew I couldn't continue to fight her. My fists were drenched in blood, and they would eventually shatter if she and I kept up this dance. I wasn't sure what I was going to do until I remembered the Amaterasu lock I received at the Manguri stop. Seeing as how I felt it was possible Lakrima would come for me again, I decided it was wise to request the Amaterasu lock. Therefore, when the Gon made its stop in Manguri, a nearby intelligencer provided me with the lock. I fought off Lakrima the best I could until I saw an opportunity for me to run. Wincing from the pain in my shoulders and fists, I made it to my sleeping cabin. Reflexively, I pulled out my suitcase and found the Blu-ray-sized lock. The instant I grabbed it, Lakuma burst through the door, howling like a demon out of hell. It only took me a second to open the Matarasu lock. But in that second, Lakuma had her hand around my throat. She lifted me off the ground and tightened her grip. I will enjoy drinking your blood and eating your heart, she said, licking her lips. Send my regards to your girlfriend on the other side. Before she could snap my throat, the Amaterasu lock went to work. I closed my eyes as tight as I could. Within a moment, the entire cabin, and I could only imagine the whole train, lit up like nothing ever seen before. Lakuma screamed, nearly destroying my eardrums, and let go of my throat. In the 25 seconds that the Amaterasu's lock's blazing light lasted, Lakuma was consumed in the purest light conceivable to Earth. Once the light dissipated, I opened my eyes and saw a stone statue that was once Lakuma. You see, dear listener, the Amaterasu locket is a weapon designed to emit the purest light this planet has ever conceived. And that pure light came from Amaterasu, the kami of the sun in Japanese mythology. If anything was pure evil or was touched by evil, a close-up dose of this light would turn them into uncrackable stone. Uncrackable from the inside, but completely brittle from the outside, meaning if a slight wind tipped them over, they would shatter into millions of pieces. Instant death. I exhaled, 
causing the Lagrima statue to tip over and shatter. Grimacing in pain and spraying myself with Bifrost, I started for the restaurant to see if Victoria was there and to see if Osiris was alive. I didn't have to reach the restaurant because by the time I was crossing the lounge, where the majority of the windows had shattered, the wind roaring, Osiris met me with Victoria in their arms. We made our way into the next car where the windows had survived Lakuma's piercing scream. I'm afraid her mortal frame was fractured, Osiris said, placing Victoria down on the ground. I had Lakuma down, but before I could deliver any fatal blow, she morphed into Victoria. I almost killed her, but I saw that it wasn't a morph, but rather a switch. Osiris looked at me with those yellow eyes. You're alive, Kai. I'm assuming Lakuma met her demise at your hands. Barely, I said, kneeling next to Victoria. She was out cold. Her breathing was shallow. She nearly killed me if not for Amaterasu. Osiris nodded. I assume you speak of that bright light from before. You're well equipped with helpful gadgets. Thank God for that. I pulled out the Bifrost pen and injected Victoria with a potent dose. Kai, be aware that Victoria may not survive. Her injuries are severe. I'll take her to the hospital where the local intelligencers will see to it that she survives. I wish you the best of luck. I didn't want to think about Victoria dying, but that's all my mind could do. It was my fault she was in this mess. Had I just followed protocol and had the MAU alter her mind after the harrowing plane incident, she would never be in mortal danger. I had to focus, I told myself. Victoria would survive, and I would do everything in my power to extinguish Montaigne's mortal flame if possible. Where have you been hiding? I said, standing up. I've been looking for you all over Australia. I'm aware. I was hunting down your gentleman unknown and failing. I know how to get to him. Aye, and you'll do well to remember that Montaigne is not like his love. What do you mean? Confrontation, Kai. Lakuma was violent. Montaigne is something else entirely. Will you come with me? Osiris pulled their hood off, revealing a bandaged head and face. The only thing visible behind the bandages were those yellow eyes and small patches of green skin in between the gauze. I cannot, I'm afraid. Montaigne lurks on a plane I cannot cross into. I'm earthbound, immortal, but tied down to this plane. I see. You're doomed to walk the earth forever, and only the earth, regardless of dimension. Osiris nodded. I was hoping Montaigne present in our plane. But as it turns out, this castle is only a Fata Morgana on this plane and completely inaccessible. That's how he's able to vanish into the shadows, I said. He's nothing more than a Fata Morgana himself, a projection. Aye, that's what I've concluded as well. The one thing I cannot seem to grasp just yet is how he's able to maintain that castle in the sky and in its own plane. It would be conceivable to imagine Montaigne in a different dimension, but in a plane he created himself is incomprehensible to me. I nodded. I agree. When San told me about that, I couldn't believe it myself. Osiris told me that he too had come across San before in the past. According to Osiris, San was a complete and utter psychopath. 
He was a psychopath for sure, I said. I don't know how Montaigne is able to do all this, but the one thing Sand did do that was of help was lead me to Montaigne's front door. And now you're going to go knocking. This world we live in is sublime if you look at its natural beauty, but it is tainted by the spilt blood of humanity. It would seem that Montaigne wants a show. He wants humanity to bleed out while he sits back and watches. A monster that delights in the suffering of others cannot be beaten by suffering alone. Only truth can defeat such a being. The first shimmers of light broke out over the horizon. Truth, I said. The only definite certainty that exists. Yet it is the one thing that eludes us all. Osiris threw their hood on. Not all. While the majority of humanity walks around in darkness, there are those few who walk in light. I've walked all over this earth for more times than I care to remember. And out of all those I've encountered in my travels, only a handful are worthy of truth. You, Kai, are one of those few. Truth is undeniable. It's certain. And we all know it. We just have to unlock the mind to finally see it. The PA announcement came on stating that the Gon would be arriving in Adelaide in 20 minutes. Then, Osiris jumped out the window in the blink of an eye just as the sun began to rise. Once in Adelaide, I took Victoria to the hospital and placed her in the hands of the intelligencers there. I was told that her injuries were indeed grave. She had sustained deep cuts and bruises on her face and head, broken bones, and torn muscles. However, because I injected her with Bifrost when I did, it helped her to survive her trip to the hospital. The intelligencers here couldn't tell me with certainty that she would live. However, they said they would do everything in their power to ensure her survival. I wanted to stay by her side. God knows I did. But I had to catch the next flight to Canada to confront Montaigne and end his reign of chaos. By the time I arrived at Stag Frost Site B, where the bridge was kept. Blade and his team had completed their analysis. It was discovered that the bridge, unlike a regular wormhole, led to an unknown plane. It wasn't a parallel dimension or point in time, but rather something entirely unknown. I was injected with a 72-hour tracking device so that Lyos could track my movement in Montaigne's world in case I expired and they needed to send reinforcements. Godspeed, Kai. Cameron said. Who knows what's on the other side, so be prepared for anything. And since none of us know what to expect as a safety precaution, is there anything you'd like Lyos to do or people to contact in case of your expiration? Just the standard, I said. Since I had lost contact with my family years ago, events unrelated to this or any report concerning Lyos, I didn't care what Lyos did should I die on this assignment. The standard procedure for an expired agent would be a narrative about how the agent got lost hiking or 
out at sea or whatever fabrication came to the mind of the narrators within the league and released to the public in gradual doses with players who portrayed the roles of friends and loved ones for that agent. Sometimes these narratives made headlines, sometimes they didn't. In the end, the public would forget about the whole thing. Geared Kappa P with just about every gadget available to Lyle's agents, I made my way toward the bridge, a 13-foot-tall doorway with a translucent glass-like center. It reminded me of the looking glass Alice must have seen before entering the alternative world. With a deep breath, I took three steps into the bridge, reciting a line from Hamlet. The undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns.